The Care Matters podcast is brought to you by the ESRC Centre for Care and CIRCLE, the Centre for International Research on Care, Labour and Equalities. In this series, our researchers welcome experts in the field and those giving or receiving care to discuss crucial issues in social care as we collectively attempt to make a positive difference to how care is experienced and provided. Well, hello everyone. My name's John Glasby. Uh, in my day job, I'm Professor of Health and Social Care at the University of Birmingham and a former social worker by background. But I'm also the Director of IMPACT, which stands for Improving Adult Care Together. It's the new UK centre for implementing evidence in adult social care that's come very much out of some of the relationships we built uh, with the sustainable care project uh, led by uh, Sue Yendler and colleagues at, uh, at Sheffield. And I'm joined today by uh, a number of people who really experienced in different parts of the social care system across the UK, but have also been really involved in helping to shape impacts early thinking and, and its development. Karen, Terry, and, and Oba. So um, I'll ask you each to uh, introduce yourselves and Karen I'll come to you first. Thanks John. I suppose my involvement is uh, in the co-production panel and um, from the Northern Ireland perspective and from a lived experience as a carer of 20 years. Uh, I also have a particular interest in personalization of care and how technology can improve or enable personalization in care as well. Thanks Karen and then I'll, I'll come to Terry. Hello, my name is Terry Davis and I work for West Wales Action for Mental Health and, I, and I'm, I guess you can call me a person with lived experience and I'm also studying part-time for a PhD looking at the transition from asylum-based care to community care across Great Britain. Thanks Terry uh, and Obert. Hello, uh, my name is Obert Tawadzera. I'm currently working as Impact uh, Project Officer working with John Glasby. I recently completed my PhD at the University of Sheffield, which was also part of uh, the Sustainable Care Program. Uh, my background is I'm also a former care worker myself, so I really enjoy working with people and I'm more into trying to make a difference in adult social care. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. It's great to have you, you here today. I suppose I wanted to start off just based on your different experiences in different um, parts of the UK, in, in different parts of the, uh, the social care system, uh, if you like. What, what we all see as some of the, the big um, challenges, but also opportunities that, that are facing adult social care at the moment. Terry, maybe I'll, I'll come to you to just for a, a view from you, if that's OK. Yeah, thanks, John. Well, I've been working really hard with um, what we call WAM, West Wales Action Mental Health, for the last uh, few years closely with our partners in Health, our University Health Board, and also with our colleagues in the local authorities. You know, I think there are a lot of, amongst all the difficulties, there are a lot of opportunities. And, and I guess, you know, John, it's about having vision about, you know, how we can go forward and also how we can better work together in, in, in true partnership working. There's a lot of talk these days about partnership working, but so often that, uh, it's it's just um, on paper, as it were, really. and it's a real challenge, isn't it, to truly work in partnership with people coming from often various uh, different differing perspectives. So I guess um, what I want to see more of is, is true partnership working also, you know, with the whole thing co-production, actually 
getting people with lived experience truly involved in planning and delivering services as well. Um, and that's what we try and do through WAM, actually, um, whether it be involving so-called service users with interviews or, or um, uh, on, on various um, committees and panels so that their voice can be heard. I think, you know, historically, when it comes to mental health, uh, people um, people's voices haven't been heard. So it's trying to get those voices heard, really, and uh, not have services that just do things uh, to people, but actually start to work with people and actually help people to, you know, work truly in partnership with people, I guess, John. That, that's so important. Yeah, thanks, Terry. And you, you kind of mentioned vision. Does that does that imply that you think that vision is lacking at the moment, that we haven't got that kind of guiding set of principles to take us from where we are now to where we want to go? Trouble is, with everything that's been going on, especially in the last couple of years, it can to a degree of, of being lost. So I guess it's trying to repurpose the vision and, and trying to set it out once again, really, isn't it? Putting people at the heart of services. And importantly, as I said, not just doing things to people, but allowing people to do things themselves, you know. And I think in mental health, traditionally, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been really hard for statutory services to actually give people the permission to actually do things uh, and, and to appreciate that people can do an awful lot if given those opportunities, actually. So, um, but, you know, there's a lot of talk, John, these days about recovery in mental health services, but uh, recovery can be risky when you take hand back control, if you like, uh, to people themselves. Um, so I think services need to be realigned in that sense and actually work with people and not just do things to people, actually, uh, for people to really realise recovery. Yeah, thanks, Terry. That, yeah, that's really helpful. And, and Karen, I suspect that might chime with your experience as well as a family. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I think the whole system approach uh, needs to be reimagined. I agree with Terry in terms of the partnership working and partnership working is difficult, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. But also the funding, I think the funding has to follow through. There's been a lot of talk about the, the transformation and um, the vision, um, as Terry says, but action really needs, you know, we need to see uh, and it really needs to be flipped on its head. So it, if we're looking at person-centred solutions, then we need to go from the grassroots up uh, rather than a top-down approach. And that's valuing the, the work of those on the ground. So whether it's lived experience, whether it's the community and voluntary sector or social enterprises and valuing the workforce. Um, and I think it's really important that that's all part of the solution. Having recently introduced a personalised care arrangement uh, in our family, it is transformative. It has tr transformed our lives. And I think if we can show what's possible, even if it is one family at a time or one project at a time, then that helps change the narrative that has been quite negative, I think, around social care. Yeah, thanks. We'll come on to this a bit later. But Impact's vision or mission statement is, is that good care isn't about services. It's about having a, a life. And I wonder whether that speaks to Terry's thoughts on vision and, and, and your sort of thoughts, Karen, on sort of positivity and, 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 and that sort of transformative experience as well. Um, Oba, I'll come to you. What, what, what would you say about some of the challenges, but also the opportunities facing adult social care? Uh, thank you, John. Uh, I, I agree a lot uh, with Terry and uh, and Karen uh, when it comes to the ideas around uh, working together, the ideas around collaboration is one big opportunity that we can have in, in social care. But uh, the biggest and or, or, or the key contextual challenges that are there in uh, adult social care in the meantime are mainly to do with funding, as Karen has, has said, and uh, it's, it's the first thing that needs to be addressed 
for everyone to be able to come together. We need to get that funding to flow uh, across uh, the social care uh, spectrum. Uh, the other thing that is a key challenge is that uh, we've got a very big and very diverse uh, sector with many competing interests. And uh, in all its diversity, the social care sector, there is no kind of um, coming together with different stakeholders. So there are many people with competing interests. And uh, one of the things that could happen, that could make it more better is that uh, that diversity of the social care could be its uh, its biggest opportunity. It's a challenge, yes, but that could be its biggest opportunities uh, opportunity if people could be able to come together uh, because at the heart of it is the need for meaningful collaboration between all those who are uh, involved in adult social social care, uh, be it researchers, uh, academics, be it uh, commissioners, practitioners, uh, but also the most important thing is to make sure that uh, whatever happens in social care, we don't forget the lived experiences of those who use the services and also their carers and the work that is done by the uh, the workforce, uh, you know, the adult social care workforce is another big challenge that we have because it continues to be undervalued, the work that is done in social care. And uh, that undervaluing of the work means that we have big challenges to try and make sure that social care is respected and is put at par with uh, the work that is done in the NHS, for example. Yeah, thanks, Oba. I really agree with that. And um, we've started to get into this already, but I was going to ask next, what are some of the the things that that stop positive change on the ground in, in frontline services? We've mentioned kind of funding. We've mentioned some of the disruptions that we've we've all faced during COVID. And I guess we've mentioned a lack of almost societal value that we give to, to care and to caring relationships as um, some of the things that hold us back. Uh, but from your different experiences, and again, from your different locations, are there are there kind of key things that, that stop positive change from happening on the on the ground? Um, Karen, I'll come to you first. Yeah, I think um, the, the ability to embrace innovation. Innovation often comes from people that are really uh, stuck in a problem. So it could be a lived experience or a community organization that have brilliant ideas and are often given a better service than the, the service providers that are, you know, contracted to do so. So it's about getting them established or getting them uh, off the ground and getting them embedded into the wider services if, if you know, if they're proven to be successful. Um, so it's, it's scaling those and using really good examples um, across from from across the world, really, not just across the UK, but, you know, seeing what works best and, and trying it. And not being afraid. I think there's sometimes a, a lack um, of, you know, positive attitude around taking a risk, you know, a positive risk. Uh, and it could be a low cost uh, risk. But from a commissioner's point of view, it's really trying new things in new ways um, and, and, and checking do they work uh, and, and looking at the procurement around that, you know, is, it, is that a barrier? But I think attitudes can be a barrier as well. Yeah, and has that been your own experience, Karen? Because I know you've kind of innovated as a as as a person and as a family, haven't you? And then you've tried to to take that innovation and share it with with others so that they benefit too from that transformation. It, it sounds like you're speaking very much from personal experience of of battling with some of that inertia. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and the the system, I suppose, for social innovation is quite um, fragmented. So whether you're a social enterprise or you're a for-profit or you're a not-for-profit, you still seem to fall between the stools. Uh, so, get, you know, getting funding, getting traction, there is enormous goodwill for lived experience innovation. But again, getting it off the ground so that it can even just be proven uh, is challenging. But it's exciting as well because we're loving it. I can see the problem really, really uh, in detail. I love the problem every day, but also I can see what the solution needs to be uh, and talking with within the network of people that that believe that as well. So while it is challenging, it's there, it's a really exciting time as well. I know, but I know when you were a care worker, uh, how did you? you try and do some of that you know presumably there's it's quite difficult to make positive change sometimes in the reality of frontline services and I know you went away to to kind of study and to do your research and to do your PhD to find ways of helping to make a difference and to, to make you a better worker and practitioner as as well as a researcher but but what was your experience as a as a former care worker of the the, the things that held you back when you were trying to make positive changes uh, thank you, John. Yes, the way um, a lot within the social care workforce and uh, mainly within uh, people working uh, in, in, in social care, these are the people who understand what's happening on the ground. And uh, they are the people who are there who are looking after uh, vulnerable adults, for example. But um, the problem that uh, you face normally when you are a, a, a care worker is that uh, you are never listened to. There's sort of like a, a top-down kind of uh, approach to doing things. And there's uh, a, a, a sort of a culture that is uh, more managerial and very bureaucratic where you have to follow certain procedures, even though those procedures, you yourself will be uh, thinking that they might not be working for the person maybe that you are looking after or the person that you are supporting. So that's one big issue that is there in, 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 in social care that sort of like hinders uh, innovation, especially that innovation that is supposed to come from a bottom up uh, because people who are uh, who work in, in, in social care are the people who know the best, especially, uh, for example, if you are uh, in, in my previous job where I was working, uh, supporting uh, adults with learning difficulties. And uh, I worked with uh, one gentleman that I understood so much because I worked with him for almost the whole year. And I, I ended up knowing what exactly they want, their timings, their timetable and everything. And uh, there was times like when management would come and change things uh, where this gentleman would be forced to do things that he is not familiar with because management would be thinking that it's a, it's a new way of doing things. But um, they never sort of like consult with care workers or, 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 or with people who are supporting the person. So that's the first uh, important thing that I think uh, we need to do if innovation has to happen. Sometimes it has to come from bottom up. So if there's supposed to be a, a more collaboration, more, more, more sort of like um, talk between uh, those who are in managerial positions and those who are working on the ground. So the 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 the, the work that the uh, the care workers are doing needs to be uh, put into into perspective when we when when we are coming up with uh, new innovations. Yeah, thanks, Herbert. And I, I mean, when I think about uh, about impacts, uh, so much of what we've tried to do in our, our our first year is to is to listen actually, and to to listen to different 
voices and to listen to seldom heard voices or um, including people that might have care and support needs but but not see themselves as part of the formal care and support uh, system and there is something there that all of you have mentioned about valuing um those voices isn't there i i suspect that you get listened to more when you're a phd student than you did when you were a care worker and i suspect you get listened to even more so now that you're the impact project officer and yet you were still the same person throughout all those different guises and indeed you're probably further away from the the topic <laughs> that we're talking about now that you're an impact project officer than you were when you were a care worker so, so it's almost kind of inversely proportionate to, to to your contact with the issue at stake so i think there's something really important there uh, terry what would you say about some of the, the the sort of barriers to positive change you know john i think um a lot of it's to do with institutionalization i know we don't confine people thankfully, to long-stay asylums and um, uh, people with mental health problems and also learning disabilities now. Those days, we've moved on from those days, thankfully. But you know what? I think there's still a lot of institutionalization of care within the community. And I think uh, it's about what uh, Karen mentioned, about the need to change culture and challenge existing culture and the status quo. And I go as far as to say to you, John, that what I think we need is a, is a peaceful revolution in, in terms of our health and social care. Um, at the end of the day, people need people, and it is about what we said about the need to value people, not just value those we're interacting with uh, in terms of trying to support and look after, but also those on the front line in both the NHS and also in the um, in the social uh, services, local authorities as well. And, um, you know, I don't think you can do community care very effectively with such, such shortages of people on the front line as well and not to pay people properly, uh, not to value them in terms of, of what you pay. Caring is, is a very, can be a very complex process, can't it really? It, it takes a lot of skill to care for people, especially people, for example, with dementia, and yet we don't seem to value those people who are doing such an essential job in our society, isn't it? So I think we need to really relook at that in terms of, uh, but also, John, what I'd like to see is, is services that don't just react to people in crisis, but actually more proactive, they actually work really hard to keep people well, uh, as well as possible, that is, given whatever condition, whatever disability they're facing in life. But not, you know, in mental health, why do we always firefight all the time? Why can't we have a system which actually um, helps to keep people well um, and recognises that people can stay well, given the right support and input, actually? Because I believe, John, you know, I spent 20 years talking about self-management, I believe all um, long-term health conditions, maybe mental, physical, can be potentially managed more effectively. So again, it's it's not just doing things to people; it's actually um, supporting people and helping people to do things themselves, you know, and encouraging people to do so as well. About connection uh, as well, I think that's so important. And also, sorry, Karen mentioned about uh, risk. I think certainly in mental health, you know, there's so much um, aversion to risk, you know, but. Uh, I think that can you can't wrap people up in cotton wool all the time as much as you think they should be wrapped up in cotton wool. It's actually allowing people uh, uh, to start to make those decisions for themselves, to take back that control of their lives, you know, and it's being prepared to be with people on that journey as well. Unfortunately, in life, John, we can't fix everything overnight. I wish we could, you know, uh, but sometimes it takes um, sometimes it takes years, decades, actually, to, to walk with people and actually ensure that they can enjoy their life as much as possible in spite of um, facing whatever long-term health condition or disability that they, they live with, actually. So it's been with people for the long haul as well. 
and not just be, you're reacting when people are in crisis and then leaving them to it when they're not in crisis. Really, it doesn't make sense to me that John. I don't know. I know that's about funding to a degree, but surely if you're prepared to work hard with people to keep them well over a longer period, then that makes sense, you know, and try and avoid those uh, future episodes of crisis. Yeah, that's really interesting, Terry, and really important. And um, we did a, a survey in, in Impact's first year, which um, Obert led on um, across the sector uh, to try and uh, inform what Impact would be doing, how it would uh, design its ways of working and the kind of topics that it would work on. And we had about 2,165 people fill it in, I, I think, across all uh, four nations of the UK and, and from um, all parts of the system. About 20% of people either drew on care and support or were carers themselves. About 25% were uh, frontline practitioners and, uh, and so on. And, what, and the two most um, prominent topics that came back out of people's priorities were around uh, prevention and well-being, exactly what you were saying, Terry and about um, kind of asset-based and, and, and person-centered approaches as being the two main priorities above all the other things that impact might might focus on. And that came from all four nations in spite of very different policy and practice contexts. And it came from everybody in every part of the system, from somebody drawing on care and support to a director of social services, from a carer to a service provider or a care home manager. You know, everyone was saying these are two of the the, the, the top priorities and the consistency of those responses, you know, I think really surprised us. One of the things I'm really interested in for all three of you, actually, is um, is why you chose to get involved in impact and, and what you're hoping it might be able to achieve. I've obviously got a personal interest in that, in that issue, but you're all really expert people. You're all really busy. You, you've chosen to contribute in different kinds of ways to, to impact's journey. You know what? What encouraged you to, to to get involved in impact? And maybe Karen, I'll come to you first. Thanks, John. For me, it's really about um, the time for change and being part of that change. And if that's you know contributing in whatever way you can, and I think it's a really powerful piece of work that if we can evidence the social care, I think we can help to change the narrative um, of what good looks like. Um, I think it'll open people's minds to the possibilities of what is possible in terms of reimagining you know we only know what we know currently uh, and when we try new things and we see new approaches then it inspires new ideas and I think really what I hope impact will do is show us what the elusive social care is because social care means so many things to so many different people so good social care will mean different things to good different people and I suppose you know, we often talk about an ordinary life. And um, as I said, we have been on the personalization journey with our daughter and th there's nothing ordinary about the transformation. It's extraordinary. Um, it has been so um, beneficial to her as an individual and us as a family, but also our community. And we have only been doing it for about three months. So, and if we as one family can have that impact, um, then I think projects that, do it on a wider scale and that can prove it on a wider scale will have such a, a you know a powerful knock-on effect. Thanks Karen that's really powerful and, and, and Obert what, what encouraged you to get involved with anybody? You were finishing your PhD uh, you know the, the, the world was your oyster you, you chose to devote the next stage of your career to to impact and we're, we're really grateful for it but but what are you hoping to to achieve through impact? 
Thank you, John. Um, I can say what, what really uh, attracted me to apply for the position that I, that I applied for at Impact was because um, obviously was coming from uh, what I wanted to achieve when I started doing my PhD, because I never wanted to do a PhD. The idea was I wanted to become a social worker. And uh, I thought like when you become a social worker, probably you are more of a regulated worker. So you maybe you get the respect that you want because I wanted to make that change. And uh, what really attracted me to, to impact was the idea that uh, it's about implementing evidence and what's evidence, the evidence that is there. And it's not only uh, research evidence because normally uh, when we talk about evidence and research evidence uh, in, 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 in social care, we are talking about something that is mainly the domain of uh, 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 of academics or, or something that until recently has always been based at, uh, at universities. Of course, impact is based at universities, but the way impact define uh, evidence, uh, ideas around trying to bring in different types of evidence, mainly the lived experiences of uh, people who, 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 who draw on care and support uh, and uh, the, the, the experiences of uh, their carers, also the, uh, the, the, the practice knowledge of, uh, of, of the social care uh, staff. That's what really uh, struck me that uh, this, these are some of the really important things. These are the people that are, have been uh, sort of like left out of, uh, of, of, uh, of research and their, their voices have not been heard. So trying to, to, to have those voices heard really, I think, is where the, the change will come from. And the bottom-up approach that we are taking at Impact is what really uh, made me more interested in uh, working uh, with Impact. And uh, I'm really so proud that I'm, 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 I'm starting to work with people where we have got these lived experiences. It's like bringing me back to the time when I was a care worker, listening to their voices, having them in, in, in round tables with different stakeholders. That's where change comes from when we bring everyone within the diversity of, our, of the sector together and try to make a change. And I'm happy that I'm part of that change. I'm happy that you're part of it too, Robert, as well. Thank you. And, and Terry, what encouraged you to, to get involved with Impact? I'm just uh, echoing what uh, Obert and also Karen have already said. Really. You know, it's, it's about um, giving the opportunity for people's voices to be heard and, and often, you know, not being able to challenge the status quo a bit, really, isn't it? And to, to be able to evidence why we want to challenge the status quo as well and not just um, be content with services doing things to people but allowing people to have that voice and to actually bring about meaningful change and, and to share ideas. One of the um, mottos of the South uh, Wales Miners Federation at one time was knowledge is power and I think that's so true isn't it really and uh, you know, it wasn't me but it was um, someone called Nelson, Mandel Nelson Mandela who said um, Education is the most powerful weapon that we have, you know, and and he was so right, wasn't he, really? So it's all about trying to educate people, both people who use the services and also those who are in positions of power in the services to actually have that dialogue and, and in a constructive way and actually hopefully um, you know, work in, truly in partnership together to bring about that change. And as I said earlier, you know, I, I really believe that we need to have a peaceful, emphasis on peaceful, revolution in our health and social care system it's high time actually there's no point just throwing more and more money at existing structures which are creaking at the seams really and and we've always done it this way so we'll carry on doing it this way uh, i think you know you really got to be mindful about where that money is going to and also accountability as well in terms of how that money has been best used could it be used better 
but also what Karen said about grassroots, actually consulting with the grassroots, uh, not just assuming that this is what people need, but actually listening very carefully to what people need and actually acting uh, on that as well, isn't it, really? So, I mean, it's so important. You know, I think we can do so much more. We, we could have a, a far happier, healthier nation if we switch to uh, from crisis management to actually a more pre preventative approach in both um, you know, the health and social care uh, system, isn't it, really? So, because uh, I do believe, you know, that people, uh, let's not just wait till people are really unwell and in crisis before we intervene. Let's um, anticipate a bit more and let's um, align services more to preventative, really, isn't it? Uh, and, uh, and helping people to stay well over a longer period. Uh, that's why I want to see, that's why I'm involved with this uh, impact project. Uh, it's great to work in partnership with other people towards a common goal, really, isn't it, of change and improvement. Yeah, thanks so much for that. And we, we've had conversations like this throughout the the, the country where we've been uh, blown away, really, by the amount of, of, of support and kind of momentum that there's been behind impact. I, I guess as its director, just reflecting on some of uh, what I've heard today. And uh, in a moment, I'll come back around everyone just to see if there's anything final that you, you wanted to say. But with the survey and with uh, our assemblies and with all the engagement work that we've done, people have said that what they want to see is a practical support on the ground to make a difference. They want to see some um, some funding to enable the participation of people who draw on care and support, uh, carers and frontline workers who might otherwise find it difficult to take part in these discussions and whose voices are, are seldom heard. And they want some support for people to come together from different backgrounds and different parts of the system to work on common challenges but hopefully on common solutions that real sense of a lack of a shared space that we we talked about earlier to to even have these kinds of conversations actually they were really clear that they their definition of evidence was very much as obert described it was different kinds of research but it was about valuing lived experience and about valuing practice knowledge and seeing uh, research lived experience and practice knowledge as uh, different but complementary ways of knowing the the world that you you kind of need to bring together and and and, and triangulate and, and and work with as you try and explore um, scope for innovation and for for positive change. Uh, people wanted to see co-production at every level of impact built into um, everything that it does and at all levels and at all parts of the the organisation. And finally, people were really excited about the fact that this was something that was an implementation centre, not a research centre. It was about working alongside people in the realities of frontline services to make a difference to those services and hence to people's lives. Uh, and one of the um, people with care and support needs who was uh, on one of our assemblies described it as not just talking about it, John, but rolling up your sleeves and getting stuck in, which I thought was a really good description and you know could have been a mission statement for, uh, for impact maybe. Uh, so for people who want to stay in touch with Impact, in 2022, we're getting ourselves um, set up as a national centre. You'll see a number of, um, uh, of, of roles advertised as part of that, for example. Uh, and there'll be greater kind of web and social media presence as the year um, progresses. But we'll also be um, piloting uh, four delivery models in different, um, on different topics in different parts of the UK so that the year is a really kind of active uh, and delivery orientated year as well. And again, uh, if you sign up for regular updates, for example, you'll see more about how that's progressing uh, as the year goes on. Uh, and then um, if we have a successful year, our funders will then authorise us to move into a, a five year delivery period. 
when we're rolling out those uh, delivery models on a on a much wider range of topics and and across the whole of the the UK. So that's the kind of journey that we're we're, we're on together. I've been really grateful for your time and your observations and your thoughts today. And thank you to everyone for listening. I'm just going to go back around um, to see if there's anything final that you wanted to to say at the end of the podcast. So, Karen, I'll I'll come to you first. Hi, John. Uh, Yeah, I think the vision for social care is well documented. I think we do need to start moving and delivering on it. And, you know, either with or without the funding, we have to find ways to prove. And I think impact is a really good way to evidence things that can be done even on a small scale um, that, you know, I, I think we just have to start. There's never going to be a perfect time, but I think it's really great work and very excited to follow the journey. Thanks, Karen. And uh, Obert. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, my last really is uh, to say um, care and caring is about uh, relationships and uh, we need to harness these relationships across the whole uh, social care spectrum and uh, to create partnerships around uh, stakeholders so that we can uh, have clear and meaningful evidence uh, that can be responsive to the to the care needs of those we want to make a difference to. And, and also that uh, the evidence that we get out there is grounded in a real world context and uh, is developed in a manner that optimizes uh, its integration into practice. Thank you. Thanks, Herbert. And Terry, you've already quoted Nelson Mandela and the South Wales Miners Federation, so I'm not sure where else there is to go. But is there anything final that you want to say? Well, I'll just say, John, that, that people matter, and it really matters how we care for people, doesn't it? Really. So, I um, mean, uh, and as a, you know, we could do better, John. Is what I'm saying. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Finishing on, we could do better, and there's no reason why we couldn't do better as well. I think that's a good summary, Terry. You said earlier that that um, we need a peaceful resolution. You said uh, people need people, uh, and equally we could do better, and, and and let's do better together. I think that's a really good summary of Impact's uh, mission and the uh, the nature of the journey that we're on. Let me end there and just say thank you to to all of you, to Karen, to Terry, to Oba, uh, for the conversation today, but for all the um, challenge and support and uh, networks and opportunities that you've given me as uh, impact director and for kind of all the goodwill and the, um, the the routing from the sidelines, you know, on our behalf, we we really, really appreciate it. We've received this money from the uh, the Health Foundation and the Economic and Social Research Council and it's long-term funding for the for the next six and a half, seven years. And we're we're acutely aware that this is a, a kind of once in a generation opportunity to to make a a difference locally, regionally, nationally, and across the whole of the the UK. And we're determined to grasp that opportunity and do the best we possibly can with it. So thank you very much for taking part today and thanks everyone for listening. Mm-hmm.